are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today we have with us uh, Jason Cross, who I've known you since like maybe before Quarter to Three. Is that true? I think it's got to be, because I remember when Quarter to Three was started and uh, they were like, oh, it's, you know, Tom Chick and Mark Asher's forum. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go sign up for that. Because so, you're like you're an industry guy like me. Like you've been writing about uh, video game and tech stuff for forever, haven't you? I think it's twelve years, thirteen mm-hmm. years, thirteen. What was be thirteen or fourteen years now? That's embarrassing. <laughs> Why do you say that's embarrassing? You're a veteran because it makes me seem old. <laughs> but you probably are. I have been old <laughs> on the brain because my birthday is coming up. So, hey, what birthday is it? Thirty-six. Oh, that's not a significant number, Jason. You no, don't, it's, you don't, it's not don't a nice round about. number. <laughs> You're three dozen years old. <laughs> hey, that's true. Uh, what day is your birthday on? Can we on know? Saturday, can we... the 15th. Good. And what are you going to do for your birthday? Do you know? I have no plans. That's part of getting old, by the way, when you make no plans for your birthday. You're like, ah, whatever. <laughs> another birthday. Who cares? Yeah, it's just celebrating not dying for another year. So what's the big deal? Well put. Uh, what was your first paid gig? Uh, a freelance review. Um, I don't know if the first one I got paid for was from OGR or from EGM. Wow, OGR. I remember those guys. Yeah. I remember your name. You know, I. that's right. That's right. It's sort of funny, Jason. Like, like I know you, yeah. but then I, I know you in a way, like, I think of you differently, like, after I met you versus before I met you when I just knew your name. Right. So it's sort of like pre-meeting Jason Cross, and he was one of the guys that wrote for OGR. I remember that. And then post-meeting Jason Cross, which is a little different. I actually worked at OGR for a while. I mean, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, did a, I did some... Uh, a little bit of freelance stuff while I was in college, and then that's when OGR started up. And back then, there were, like, no game sites on the Internet. There was, what, Happy Puppy, remember that? I do. And um, A-Vault, and there was OGR, and then there was things like Blues News, but back then, all it was just about, like, Quake and the id Software stuff. Right, yep. Um, yep. And I, so I just kind of did stuff for them for free, and then I started getting paid for it. Um, and then they got bought out by a publishing company and. Uh, later, after I graduated college, one of the guys who was an editor there, Jeff James, left to go work at Lego, and uh, they g- gave me his job. So I moved to Connecticut and worked for OGR for a while. And were were you in the Vermont contingency? Yeah, so I was in uh, OGR was in Connecticut, and I worked there with uh, Doug Radcliffe and and Paul Bannister. Sort of worked offsite and everything, and then. Um, Yale Brosen, who owned Chips and Bits and Computer Game Strategy Plus and stuff, bought OGR from Air Age Publishing, uh, not really first checking for things like, well, will the staff move to Vermont, um, which Doug, Doug Radcliffe did not do. He said, screw that, my wife just got like a big uh, promotion and stuff, we're staying, bought a house, I'm staying here. So, so I was the only person from OGR to move to Vermont, and then I became the only person left at OGR trying to, like, run the site by myself. That lasted, like, a week, <laughs> like, 10-hour days, uh, and th- they've, you know, finally said, all right, this is, we're just going to sort of fold this into the online site for computer games, uh, for, for CG Online, I think, was the site. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that's what they did. And then uh, Steve Bauman came to me and said, you know, uh, you know a lot about this tech stuff, you know, and parts and everything, and we don't have a hardware section. That was a big deal back then. Uh, um, you know, com- uh, computer gaming world had, you know, a great hardware section and stuff. So it's like, how, how would you like to start doing that? So that's what I did. Well, and back then, too, Jason, if you really wanted to play, like, the latest cool cutting-edge games, it wasn't enough to own a console system. You had to be able to to have a PC, and having a PC to play games meant knowing the components, knowing how to do, like, you know, config sys files and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, pretty much, it, it, to some degree or another, all of us video gamers back then were tech guys as well, some more than others, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing that's how you knew about tech stuff, through video games? Uh, I mean, yeah, mostly. Or, or, God, I don't know which came first, but I started messing with computers back in the Apple II days. Um, we had an Apple II. Not, not the Apple II Plus that had the 80-column card in it. You had to go buy an 80-column card and put it in there. <laughs> and, you know, we... Uh, you know, I was just playing with computers ever since then, and I don't know if games made me play with computers or computers made me play with games, but, you know, I just grew up with all that stuff and monkeyed around with all that stuff. But learning about all the how to put a computer together and all the parts and what's good and stuff definitely came from me having to upgrade my PC to play games and figure mm-hmm. out how to make them work. Now, as the industry has changed... Uh, and as console games have become more prevalent, uh, do you find that the sort of tech stuff that you know about and that you write about becomes increasingly separated from games, or is it still a very hand-in-hand uh, relationship? Uh, well, my job now really doesn't have a lot to do with games, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's evolved. I, I should just—I'll just continue the timeline <laughs> from okay. when I was at, so uh, so. I, Computer Game Strategy Plus evolved into Computer Games Magazine. Uh, that was just sort of a, a, a change of name and, and, you know, making the magazine look better and stuff, but we really didn't change staff or the way that it, you know, ran or anything. And um, and that's where I know you from because you used to freelance for us all the time, and we were a small crew. Everyone wore a bunch of hats, so we were always proofing everything from everyone and all this other stuff, so... Um, so that you never did anything for me as an editor because I was mostly concerned with the hardware stuff. You you probably dealt with guys like Ben Stones and Cindy Ann's and stuff all the time, right? Right. So you never had an angry PR person giving you a call because of something I wrote. That's true. <laughs> but we discussed those things. Those were those were always fun um, because it was always perfectly defensible, right? You, you never made, like, a factual error <laughs> or anything. Well, i got to say, Jason, and all the time I've been a freelancer, I mean, I so miss you guys. I mean, CG was just, there was just such a sense of trust, you know, two ways. Like, if I, I just remember, like, if Steve would tell me something about something I'd, I'd written, I would really take it to heart. And he said some very wise things to me, and, and he, you guys trusted me, and I, I just had never felt so comfortable with a group of editors and, and people uh, than, than I did with you guys. Yeah, I, I miss working with those guys. It was it was a great crew who just obviously really cared a lot about what we were doing and trying to, you know, desperately trying to elevate what a, a gaming magazine was on a shoestring budget with a skeleton crew, you know. But we really <laughs> wanted to do great things, so we tried. Um, but, you know, and we, we always loved uh, getting assignments from you because they needed, like, no editing. 
just you, you don't have to. You didn't have to fix, you know, grammar, stupid grammar errors or anything. I don't know if you write that way naturally, or if that's the kind of thing where you would wait and proof your own thing before turning it in. But it's so rare that we needed to fix anything. And it was on word count and on time, which you'd be surprised how many freelancers can't do those things. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. And I think it's still that way. I mean, you look at a lot of stuff that gets written, and I, uh, you know, there's there's definitely, I, I just wish there were more writers actually worried about words and what they were saying. And uh, I, I guess the whole problem with the Internet is it's just, you know, throw content up. Yeah. That you don't have the care of content that, that you have when you're working on a magazine. Yeah, when, when you put it out there, so it much, you know. So um, uh, so after about five or six years at Computer Games Magazine, um, I got a call from Lloyd Case out here who said, oh, well, we had, you know, we had this site, Extreme Tech. Extreme Tech had been going for a couple of years and stuff. And they said, We're in, we want to hire an editor. How do you feel about moving out to San Francisco? And I thought that sounded like a fine idea. Had you lived there before? No. I uh-huh. uh, grew up in Florida, and, and uh, after six months in Connecticut for OGR quickly moved to Vermont and spent you know some years there. So uh, you know, and it was a pay upgrade and stuff, even considering sort of the difference in cost of living out here. And also, I came out here and worked at Extreme Tech for five or six years. I think it was about six years. Um, and then they kind of let everyone go from Extreme Tech, and we all mm-hmm. became freelancers. <laughs> Uh, and Lloyd is still freelancing, and uh, so is Joel Durham. And I am—I uh, got picked up to be a senior editor at PC World and started there in December, and that's what I'm doing now. Sell out? Yeah. <laughs> I, what can I say? I like a steady paycheck. Uh, I don't know, by the way, if you know this about Lloyd, Jason, but he only has one L in his name. I do know that. Okay. I'm well aware. <laughs> Uh, so what do you do there at PC World? Um, so I'm the senior editor in charge of the systems group. Well, I'm making air quotes when I say that, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of a new thing they did. They, they just kind of put myself and another editor there, uh, Nate Ralph, um, who did some work for Wired on games stuff there, uh, and someone from the labs and all on a group to handle all of the stuff that is centric to the PC. So it's reviews of notebooks and desktops and whatever components we review that aren't peripherals and printers and it's not TVs and cameras and other people handle all those beats. Um, So I primarily deal with all the notebook beat and Mm -hmm. Nate does all the desktops and we both do sort of component level reviews and stuff. Okay, so let me hit you with this. Uh, Is what you do and this is a loaded question I realize I'm projecting, yeah. is what you do and what you write about boring? It can be. <laughs> Sometimes it's pretty neat, and other times it's like, oh, it's another Lenovo ThinkPad. It's a black <laughs> rectangle with a really great keyboard, and it's durable, and it's just like all the other ThinkPads. If you like ThinkPads, you'll love it. It, it becomes hard to review average things. That's the work. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and you're turning out a lot of content. I deal with a lot of freelancers now and stuff because we're going to mm-hmm. review 130, 140 laptops this year. There's no way I can do that. So I spend a lot more of my time sort of handing out assignments and, you know, getting them in and tracking who's got what and all that stuff. 
So tell me a, a good, not boring thing about what you do. When is what you do cool and exciting and fun? Well, when you get to see some genuinely new technology, you know, like under NDA and before, you know, under embargo and stuff like that, it's it's pretty cool. Like, especially if you're into the hardware side of things. You know, that's right. always very exciting. So I always like that so, kind of stuff. So you must right now know things that you are contractually bound not to tell me. Is that correct? Yeah. Will you tell me one of those things right now? No, I will not. You're good. You are good, Jason Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Although, honestly, none of the ones I – I mean, it's things like there are going to be new models of laptops next month kind of stuff. It's not – you know, I don't, I don't have, like, a secret of something that's of enormous magnitude that – Right. But to, but seriously, I mean, to hardware geeks, that's exciting stuff. I mean, there are people who care about that, and I presume you are one of them. Uh, like, you must know cool things, and some of them must be kind of exciting, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, what I was getting at earlier, and I, so you're, de- you're into video games. I know that about you, too. Oh, yeah. Do you feel like what you're doing now for work uh, has split off more from video games than it was in the past? Or was it always sort of compartmentalized like that? Like, there are people who just talk about hardware and video games don't really equate to it. Uh, do you feel like your your job is further away from video game than it has been in the past, or it's always been like I, that? I think it is. I think um, back when, you know, 12 years ago or so, PCs were a lot more expensive. They were a lot less of a commodity. There were, you know, PCs that people had at their office for business, and then the rest of the time you didn't really have a PC unless you were really you cared about games and stuff. There was not a lot of reason to have one at home. Pre-internet days, you know, I guess you got on AOL or Prodigy, but that was about it. I mean, and, and you know, a cheap PC was 2000 bucks, 2500 bucks, and it wasn't 600 bucks like they are today. Right. So, yeah, I think um, back then, if you were into computers, you were into games a lot more than now where everyone has a computer. It doesn't matter what you yeah. do, you know. I didn't even think of the whole Internet thing. You're right. Yeah. Uh, everybody has a computer, but not all of them are playing games on it. And that definitely wasn't the case, was it? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, do you – I know you do a lot of gaming on the Xbox 360. Do you feel like a trader? No. I've always <laughs> – see, I've always played on consoles all the time. Um, I was more of the – I was, like, kind of viewed a little bit like the console guy at um, at computer game at computer games because, you know, I was the guy who every new console that came out, I had to buy it. And, you know, I was right there and I was always talking about some neat game on, you know, whatever it was, whatever the new console was of the time. So, uh, well, and plus, plus Jason, right. Well, plus Jason, you're like a kid too. 36, please. You you were like the the console kitty back then, I imagine. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I think I think Ben Stones is pretty much the same age as me. Um, mm-hmm. And when he came on, you know, then he was the other youngin. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you know, it was. I I I don't feel like the person who grew up with you know Nintendo and Sega and all that stuff. I don't feel like a trader for still playing console games now. Right. Because I, I, yeah, and I am, of course, being facetious because You're I... You're the one who played Dragon Age on the 360 when you... It's yeah, so I know. obvious you should have played it on the PC. You're the traitor. 
That's really true, isn't it? And, but you know what, Jason, in my defense, it's not that I'm a traitor. It's that I was too eager. You know, they sent me the press copy on the 360 first, and I was like, well, screw this. I'm not going to wait, you know, a week or however long for the PC version. I want to I want to look at this now. Yeah. <laughs> and so you look at it, you sink three hours into it or whatever, and you're like, well, at this point, I'm not going to lose all my progress and go over to the PC. Uh, so what I did was I adopted a sort of a, the less I know about the differences with the PC version, the better. So I finished it and then went back and sort of really appreciated all the stuff I missed by playing on the console. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, guilty guilty as charged, Jason. You got me there. <laughs> uh, so you've lived in the Bay Area now for, like, it's been, like, what, five years? Uh, six. It'll, it'll be uh-huh. seven this fall, I think. Was it crazy finding an apartment or, or, or wherever you live when you moved out there? Actually, it wasn't because I just had an amazing stroke of luck where ah. uh, when I was coming out here, you know, uh, I had accepted the job and stuff and I'm looking around and then um, like the next day, uh, I'm still in Vermont. The next day Lloyd sends me an email saying, Oh, Jeff Green just sent this email around. And the email is, Hey, one of our writers has a roommate moving out. Does anybody want to move in with them? Uh, and so I mailed back Jeff Green and said, Oh yeah, let's, uh, let's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so Darren Gladstone, uh, I lived with him for a couple of years when I was out here uh, up in North Beach. Ha ha, you lived with Darren Gladstone. Yes. Darren and, <laughs> Darren and one other uh, guy. And uh, actually, we had a couple of rotating roommates over the years. Um, and then he moved out, and then about a year after, I moved out and got an apartment with my girlfriend, and we've been in there for about three years now. Now, where where is Darren Gladstone these days, by the way? Isn't he doing some sort of, like, halfway between freelancing slash consulting? Or what kind of mysterious stuff is that guy up to? He Do you works know? for a PR company. Um, still here in San Francisco, still downtown. I don't know what his exact duties at the PR company are, but he does. Okay. I, I think it's the kind of thing where it's like a, the PR company uses him as sort of, like, their internal gauge of what the press is going to think about this, and then he tells them, well, if you want the press, the press are going to talk about this, so you need to, you know, do this differently and all this, you know, stuff. Hmm, yeah, it sounds like he's lucked into this, like, cushy consulting gig kind of thing. <laughs> it sounds like that, yeah. I, I know it's probably much harder than I'm making it sound, but that was my uh, understanding Nick, of it. Yeah, next time you see him, uh, uh, punch him in the arm for me. <laughs> okay. I can do that. Uh, so you, you obviously from our offices. So yeah, good. Yeah, even if you have to seek him out, yeah, just like give a happen. good old punch in the arm and say, "Hey, this is from Tom Chick." So I'll totally do that. <laughs> uh, what do you like to do in the Bay Area when you're not working and geeking out? Um, well, that's I'm pretty much geeking out all the time. So. <laughs> I well, I asked that Jason because I love the Bay Area and I want to briefly vicariously enjoy it through you. So tell me cool things you can do in the Bay Area that I can't do here. The coolest thing I can do that I know you can't do is I haven't owned a car since I moved out here. Oh, you're such a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) That that hurts. That really hurts. (laughs) Do you miss having a car? You know, I, I sometimes miss driving, although driving in this city is a disaster. But, you know, I kind of miss just like going, oh, let's go up to the whatever in, you know, Sonoma or just just hop in a car and go somewhere. I miss that, uh, and I miss driving around sometimes. But I do not miss car payments and insurance payments and the price of gas and finding parking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is a real Uh, disaster in San Francisco, so. Now, before I let you get on your your sort of I don't have a car moral high ground, let me just establish here. 
you don't have a car, but you don't live in one of those households where your living girlfriend has a car that you can use. No, no, neither one of us have a car. Okay, good. Then you definitely have a claim to it because I wasn't going to fall for any of this. I don't have a car, but my living girlfriend has one. Yeah, okay, good. No. There are times we wish. It's like, oh, man, we really need to buy more groceries than we can carry. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Want a yes. car. But, so, yeah, I mean, we just do stuff around in the city as far as, you know, if it's a nice day, we'll go to the park. I live, like, right on the Alamo Square Park. So, mm-hmm. uh, we'll, you know, we'll just go to the park or we'll go down to the the big, you know, Golden Gate Park and do stuff at the – California Academy of Sciences or go to the, um, what's its name, the Japanese Tea Garden out there or something. We just, you know, tool around the city, basically. See, as far well, as we say in the city, too. really. Well, why would you leave? I mean, it's an awesome city. Really the whole is. thing about LA, LA is a great city to leave, to get out of for the weekend. Uh, San Francisco is a great city to stay in for the weekend uh, and do stuff. Yeah. yeah I'm, all right. Uh, what TV do you like? Are you are you active in the TV thread? I'm not really active in the TV thread. I do like TV, and I kind of lurk sometimes in the TV movies thread. Okay. Uh, uh, so, so I like uh, a lot of the stuff. Like I like The Office and Parks and Rec and Thirty Rock. That's a good. That's a great block of TV right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Modern Family is good. What's that? Modern Family. That's a yeah. sitcom on ABC on. Uh, and Wednesday nights or so, which is very funny, and it's everything. It's adopting that style that everything does of sort of The Office or Parks and Rec or something, where it's as if somebody's shooting a documentary. They stop and have little confessionals in front of the camera and stuff. You know, that's is uh, is Jim Belushi in it? No. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't think I'd watch it if Jim Belushi was in. <laughs> No, it's, uh, do, don't it's you, not Two and a Half Men or any of that. Okay. It's, it's, you, you don't watch any, like, hour-long dramas, or are you, are you keeping up with Lost, or you don't watch I Breaking? I have never watched Lost, and I don't feel like I'm missing anything. How did you swing that? I'm really jealous of that, too. <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those things that people started to tell me about it late enough that it wasn't, like, the first few episodes and I would have gotten into it. And by the time people started telling me, oh, you should really watch Lost, it's really good, and stuff like that. Uh, there were enough other people to go. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know where they're taking this story. It's just confusing. You know, I said, yeah, I don't care. Good for you. Well done. Well played. Um, uh, well, I do watch some hour-long dramas. I'm just trying to think of what they are. Uh, I bet you watched uh, that Fire or Serenity thing or Firefly. Oh, I did. Uh, that's actually, when it was on. Yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. crime. That, have you seen those? I saw the movie and didn't really know what was going on, and I keep being told, oh, you got to see the whichever one's the TV show. Yeah, just, just Netflix the DVDs or whatever. Um, well, but see, I already know that Walsh dies or whatever that's happened. That's very sad. <laughs> that's a very sad moment because he's very awesome. You I know, couldn't that, have cared less. I was, was like, oh, they filled out. One of the best TV shows in, in years. And it's oh, come on. Really? Fox. Yeah, and it totally got foxed. And, and you would, you'll love it. You, I, I guarantee you. It's, you can't get through... I know a lot of people will watch the pilot and go, eh, you can't get through the first three episodes and be like, nah, I don't really like this show. This show's no good. Now, will this work for me if I'm not, if if Buffy the Vampire Slayer didn't work? Yeah, I wasn't into Buffy. I could care okay. about Buffy. Okay, okay. Uh, did you watch Battlestar Galactica? Uh, I did until, I don't remember what season it was, because they did all these weird half-season things. But right. there was some point in where it became about four or five episodes in a row of this stupid love triangle thing. Yeah. 
you know, soap opera stuff. Yeah, yeah. and and you know the the actual plot of the getting to Earth thing never advanced, and and I just kind of gave up and I never went back. Everybody tells me I should go back because after that it gets really good again. But you know, it, mm, except that it doesn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm really jealous, Jason Cross, of your ability to bail or to not engage in TV shows that turn out poorly. Well, it's not I, I wish always that way because I watched 24 for far too long. Oh, now isn't that almost dead? Do you still watch it? You gave up on that too, though, I, didn't you? I gave up on it like this season. Right. Uh, when they had a break, and when they came back from the break, I didn't put it on my TiVo or something, and I just haven't been watching. Um, but uh, yeah, I really should have stopped a couple seasons ago on that one. <laughs> so actually, you're this current, though. I'm thinking that you could go back and catch up. Like you, oh, yeah. I've you only sure? missed like three episodes or something. Oh, then Jason, no, you don't get no, you don't get to claim you've bailed if you've stuck with it. Because I was that way with Lost for a little bit. Like, Lost is almost over, and I didn't watch the last three episodes, and I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to watch them. But I was just fooling myself. I ended up watching them all three, and I'm caught up and waiting for the stupid thing to end. But Yeah, I but, feel uh, bad. I would, I would watch 24 and go, this is stupid, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel really bad about it. Right. Right. I know that's how people feel about Lost, too. They're like, stupid show. When's the next uh, one on? You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm the same way. I hate it, but I would not dream of missing an episode. <laughs> I'm like the captive audience. It's Stockholm Syndrome is what it I is. Think, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Although, at least in 24, you know, Kiefer Sutherland is awesome. At least the main character, who everything revolves around, is yeah. fantastic. We could do, we just that call it the Jack Bauer Power Hour, and that, that's the end of the. That's all we care about in the show. Because there's nobody like that in Lost. I mean, Lost is such a shuffled mishmash of inconsistent characters. There's really no hook like, hey, there's this badass lead character. There's nothing like that in Lost. So yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, I want to ask you also, how many Xboxes have you been through? Let's see. I I have two that I use all the time. Like I have one in the I, I want to put. I, I'm doing air quotes again with living room because I have a little tiny one bedroom apartment that's like too small for us and costs a lot of money because it's San Francisco. Because <laughs> you're in the Bay Area, right? Yeah. So the 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 room that's sort of our living room where the couches and stuff has and the TV and all. I have an Xbox there and I have one on my computer desk which is in the bedroom uh, hooked up to my monitor so that we can play like co-op games, you know, in the same apartment and stuff like that. Or, oh, like you're, or one so that the, you're one of the... you're one of doing something, wants to watch TV, doing whatever, then I can play on my computer monitor. Yeah. Right. So you guys can do that whole system link thing? Yeah, or you just both be, play on live if there's co-op on live or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Does she have her own live account? Yeah. yeah Interesting. Yep. Oh, yeah, okay. she plays plenty of games. Um, so I, I have those two, but I've replaced two. Mm-hmm. So I've in told, but they were replaced by Microsoft. I never paid like extra to replace them. So, but you're basically on Xboxes three and four at this point. Yeah, that's actually you got off very easy. I think so. Uh, my my original like bought on launch day Xbox 360 lasted a really long time, and I was convinced that I had dodged the bullet everybody else seemed to get hit by, but I didn't, and it died. Right. Uh, have you written an expose on why the Xbox 360s are so crappy? Okay. And if not, why not? Because they won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> won't, the, the, I mean, what it comes down to is it, it, 
it's engineering problems, right? Right. They just didn't engineer it to have enough cooling or for the cooling not to warp the motherboard or whatever the stupid specific thing is. And there's so much money on it that, you know, nobody wants to really um, talk about it too much. Yeah. But it's kind of fixed now, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they got I a bad app. I have a problem with the, the current yeah. ones. Yeah. It's still a fun trope to, to hit them with from time to time. It is. Just out of resentment. You better. need to keep like making that joke until the next one comes out because the next one is going to be the most reliable console in the world, right? I mean, they had to write down a billion-dollar loss on it. Right. <laughs> That's a great right. incentive to make the next one, like, bullet. <laughs> uh, so does this mean you have inside information? Did you just violate an NDA? No. I'm just, okay. I'm just convinced <laughs> there's no way that they're they're going to make a billion-dollar mistake again. So. Uh, yeah, you also have... Uh, and again, I'm pretty sure. Aren't you active in the iPhone thread? For yeah, iPhone I have games? an iPhone. Um, I bought an original iPhone, and then I bought a 3G, but not the 3GS. Um, and what do you till oh, I get my next phone? I don't know what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you playing on your iPhone these days? Because I'm I'm such a huge iPhone fan. I have as far not as touched I'm... my my friggin' DS or my PSP like. Since I got my iPhone, basically, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's it's with me all the damn time, and there's a lot of games that just make great use of the touchscreen. Like I think, yeah, that, you know, and in that small portable factor, I think that actually has a lot of advantages over a direction pad. There are plenty of games I wish they had a direction pad for, but I don't think they should make those games for those little play it for a couple minutes and then turn it off kind of games, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I played a lot of Space Miner recently. Um, I actually played that on the iPad. Yeah, I have an iPad too. Um, Does it make a difference? It's uh, it no because it's it, there's no iPad version, so you can just play the iPhone version like double pixel expand, expanded. But I think okay. it's easier to use. It's easier to to deal with the wheel and stuff like that, and it still looks really good. Right. Uh, right. I've been playing a lot of Sword and Poker. Mm-hmm. I think it's Sword and Poker two or one. I'm trying to get through one before I boot up. Two. I bought two and it's sitting there on my phone, and I don't dare start it until I finish two, the first one because I think how many floors are there on the first one? Oh, good lord, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I don't know. I'm like, a, are you with the situation where you're like, oh, I'm so close to being done? I'm I got floor nineteen, and I think it's I can't be that much further. If there's right. fifty floors, just screw it. <laughs> just gonna play two, but. <laughs> I, I think there's got to be, you know, 25 or 30 floors, and I'll just finish the first one. I don't know why, because it's not like there's a story to continue. Well, but you... I've invested... I don't know. It's sort of like they've given you content, and there's... Uh, yeah, like it's got a beginning and an end, and I, I understand wanting to see it through. So, uh, and I started playing 100 Rogues. Oh, good Lord. How, are you having any luck? Uh, yeah. It's hard, though, man. Boy, what a punishing game. Well, I, I don't mind it being hard, but I, it's so unstable for me. I mean, I, I get it is so demoralizing because it's hard to push your way through a floor and to get some cool bit of armor and then to, to be hunting for uh, food and, and, and then, you know, something happens. I, uh, you know, I switch places with one of those ninja chick things and it crashes. And I'm looking back at my little uh, desktop or whatever you call the surface of of an iPhone, and and you lose all your progress through that entire floor. It's so infuriating. It's happened to me enough times that I'm like, screw this game. I'm I'm done with it until they get out another update. Because I've just had no luck. I've had one update, which they said was some stability fixes or whatever. and I don't know. Um, I've been playing that one on the iPad, too, just because, you know, 
that's where I decided to start playing it. As no and that doesn't happen to you, though? Like, it has you, you... not happened yet, but, God, I don't live very long, so... <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> I, I, I need to spend more time on one floor. Like, I... I, I yeah. I map out the whole floor and then I go to the next one, but you could hang out and just kill more stuff, and I need to do more of that. I, and I think it definitely, like, when if you go down a, a little prematurely, it will definitely let you know by killing you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a sort of a power curve you have to honor until you get really good at sussing out uh, when to use certain scrolls and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I really like the design, but, man, I just am so done with that until they address the stability. And that's the thing, Jason, is... It, it makes me so, I, I don't want to say mad, because I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not literally mad. I'm just sort of put out with them. Uh, there's so many, like, good, stable things on the iPhone that when something comes out that has that level of bugginess or, or is, is lacking that sort of polish or testing, I, I just kind of resent it. Uh, it makes me hopeful that there's going to be some, you know, better testing of these things on say you know windows phone 7 or whatever you know yeah you know i'm i'm in, very interested in that as a future phone upgrade and um we'll see i mean we'll see what the phones are like but i like what i've seen so far of what they're doing with the os you know with all the stuff they've shown so far i think that looks really great so maybe i'll get that and they're going to have all the live integration and all that stuff and so we'll probably have some pretty decent professionally designed and made games and hopefully a bunch of good indie games and with any luck they'll have to go through the same sort of testing that uh, things on the actual Xbox do you know or at least now, more than what happens on the iPhone because there's some super crashy stuff and you go isn't there an approvals process don't they boot these things up before right. they put them on the app store well the whole thing with with 100 rogues is uh, early on apparently if you know, if you equipped a shield, it would kill the game. And how do you miss something like that? Yeah, you uh, think that would come up in the first, you know, ten minutes of testing. <laughs> now, Jason, you you know, I always um, admire your uh, uh, familiarity with sort of the business side and the tech side of the, the video gaming business. Do you have any outlet that you use to write about that stuff other than just like chatting on quarter to three? Not anymore. Not really. Okay. I should, you know, I should, uh, I should, you know, go talk, you know, uh, IDG, the, the company that does PC World and Mac World and all that stuff, uh, also does um, GamePro, which has just gone through a big redesign and stuff. And John Davidson, who used to be a one-up guy from Ziff, is running GamePro now. And I should just go down to John's office and go, like, can I write a column for the online site or something? <laughs> Tell him that Tom Chick says you should. I, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, like to deconstruct things. It's sort of my nature. And figure out why things are happening a certain way. So whenever I see things like sort of happen either in a game or just in the business of games, I, I try and you know figure out, well, why did that happen? And mm-hmm. run through the things. And I play devil's advocate with myself in my head instead of just running with the first idea I have. So. Mm-hmm. Now, you today want to talk about a game that did, if I'm not mistaken, didn't do that well. Yeah, uh, it did not sell ex- extra great, no. Could we call it a cult classic? How would you characterize No One Lives Forever, and why 
do you think of that when you're asked, hey, Jason Cross, what game do you want to talk about? Uh, I'd probably call it a cult classic. It's probably old enough, too, that a lot of people, you know, don't know it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly a critical, it was a critical darling, you know. It's just incredibly well received. It's a, I, I like it as a game, and I think it should, people should know it more because uh, it was the kind of game I wish they would be making today. It was a game that uh, incorporated a lot of gameplay elements that I like, you know, incorporating action and stealth and cutscenes that are, you know, cool and funny and well-written and stuff, and big action set pieces with big scripted things. I put all these things into one game, and it worked, and it just had this sense of style that games are... So many of the big popular sort of action games today are so generic it's really annoying just to play another military, put on your night vision goggles, whatever, you know, or World War Two or whatever, you know. It it just set itself in a universe that was so stylized and, and cool, but yet familiar enough that it wasn't just, you know, cartoony or something. It was, you know, something that people could get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, i just always been desperate for them to make a Null 3, and instead they make all these other inferior games <laughs> over at Monolith. The fear like games, for instance, right? Yeah. Speaking of military simulators where you put on night vision, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just and and fear, the action parts of fear are good and the AI is really interesting and I like the gunplay and everything. But it's not a good horror game and it's so hopelessly generic compared to No One Lives Forever that I just go, Ah why are you making this? Yeah, it really does. It's sort of missing everything that made Nolf special. Isn't yeah, it? and uh, Condemned yeah. is the same way. You know, that's, I mean... Oh, Condemned, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Monolith's is sort of a two-games-at-a-time stu- two studio, and they've just making, been making Fear and Condemned for the last, I don't know, five years or whatever, so... Which is just disappointing. Not because they're bad games, because they're not... Uh, but they're not great games, and they're not the great games that No One Lives Forever was, and they're not full of personality the way that those were. How did you find uh, the stealth in the Nolf games? Actually, real quick, before we do that, how would you describe the difference between the two Nolf games? Oh, God. I mean, I don't think of them as that terribly different, except that, you know, sort of technology marches on. Um, okay. Nolf 2 has a better, a more intuitive interface, less, and that was just something that was happening in PC games in general, context sensitivity and so on and so forth. Instead of a different key for every stupid thing you want to do, you would just walk up to something and press the use button and it would do the right thing, you know, uh, that sort of stuff, you know. So I think it's a much more polished game in that sense, and it's a lot uh it's a lot easier to play in the mechanics of it, not that its difficulty curve is, is easier right. and stuff. Um, uh, but I think they're very much had, the same game in a lot of ways. Uh, how did you find the stealth in them? Uh, it's it's not the kind of stealth game that, like, Thief is, where it's all about stealth. and just. But it still had that great sense of um, taking out guys who don't know you're there and getting audio cues from the guards who are patrolling around or doing whatever, and you have to stay out of sight and stay and, and not do something that makes noise, and you could get around them that way. And you, you kind of had that choice of, well, I'm just going to go bl- guns blazing through here, or I'm going to sneak around. And that actually worked really well. So 
better than most games. It's it's hard to hold it up to the standard of something like Thief. Right. But um but I think it's easily on par with things like Splinter Cell or whatever, you know. Well, one of the things that I liked about what they did with Stealth and No One Lives Forever is the reward was partly that you could enjoy the universe more and hearing the guard conversations that you would miss if you just went in guns blazing. Yeah, the uh, guard conversations, they were, they were just well ahead of sort of everybody else with the, you know, audio barks and stuff. And not just having them say something generic. They would always say something funny or something that clued you into, like, this little universe or the the company of harm that they work for, the little henchmen and stuff. Those things were just great. And if you, you bothered to be stealthy, you would just hear some really hilarious exchanges. Right. And it made, you know, it, I, I think that's a great incentive for, for stealth. Yeah. You know what? If, if you want to just play it as a shooter, that's fine. But if you really want to appreciate this cool writing that we've done, we're going to make it a little more challenging for you. So try this sort of alternate approach to the gameplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it wasn't too often that there was a level that was going to be the action level that you could not sneak your way through. You know, they did a few of those, but that's, you know, most of the game you could sneak around if you wanted to. Now, do you have a sense for, and I ask you this because when I think of, like, James Bond movies or spy movies, the plots all run together. Like, if you were to ask me, you know, okay, what's the villain's scheme to destroy or control the world in uh, the in GoldenEye versus the man with the golden gun, I would have no idea what's going on. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really, I think GoldenEye had to do with some gem that focused some beam or some, I, hell if I know. Wait, are you serious? You actually remember that much? Well, That's good. That was the golden eye. It was like this big golden jet. Ah. And I remember there was a big fight on the big Arabico satellite dish thing. Wasn't there? Oh, that's Goldeneye. See, yeah, I remember there's one with a satellite dish. I wouldn't have known that was Goldeneye. All right, now do the man with the golden gun. I don't I have no idea. <laughs> there's a guy, and he's got this gun. <laughs> well, can you do that with either of the Nolf games? As far as like, wait, I'm trying. The, I'm thinking, uh, the first okay. one, my memory of the first one's a lot fuzzier because I haven't replayed it. Uh, I think it's harder to get it running on modern PCs. The second one, I replayed more like a couple years ago, and the second one is, you know, I know that like Kate Archer quote dies in the beginning. She gets taken out by like a double agent sort of thing in like the first level, and then you, um, but she didn't really die, and then you you track down. Um, the director of harm, who is I can't remember his name, Linko begins with a V. <laughs> Val, shoot, I forget. Um, but you track him, but you track him down and to his underground base. But I, there's a whole plot line that is well delivered throughout the movie. That I, I mean, movie throughout the game <laughs> that I completely forget the details of. Now there's the sure. big Scottish guy who was a bad guy in the first one. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I remember that now that you say that. <laughs> now, uh, tell me some of the set pieces from the games that stand out in your mind. I think it was, in the, was the first one the one where you do the parachute thing? That's a good question. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so you're, you're fighting on a plane, and the plane gets, gets torn apart, and you get pulled out of it. And while you're playing, which is great. It's not just some dumb cutscene. And then you're falling toward Earth with no parachute, you grab one of the harm agents and use his parachute, and then there are all the other harm agents are falling and trying to shoot at you, and you shoot at them all on the way down. And that's yep. that was just an epic, especially considering the time. This was the year 2000. You know, this was 
just a couple years after Half-Life. And, um, and the second one was the one with the tornado. That was their really great set piece there. Right, right. You're in a trailer uh, park. You're in a trailer park, and everything's rocking and moving around, and then you end up in one of the trailers that gets picked up by a tornado and starts <laughs> being flung around while you're fighting a boss battle in the thing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a and what is- story about the first No One Lives Forever, because I remember yeah. uh, when I was at Computer Games, I reviewed it, um, and I remember getting that game, and you know this was in the days before everything leaked on the internet so easily. So you get the gold master discs, and they were just CDRs, right? That were like, you know, this is their final review copy, you know. So we got these in, and I take it home that day to to play it because you know we're getting close to deadlines. I need to review this, and I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning or something, and, and I come in the next day. And it, cause I couldn't believe how good it was. Like, this is, Monolith was not exactly batting a thousand, right? Uh, they had come off of what, Sanity? That, that top-down wow. yeah. game? That, <laughs> and, and Blood 2, and, you know, Shogo was pretty good, but, you know, uh, you could see some talent at the studio, but nothing to make, like, a Half-Life caliber, you know, epic game. You know, the first, the first game to be better than Half-Life in the two years after Half-Life. Ah, very good, very good, yeah. Uh, so so I come in the next day, and I take the discs into Ben Stone's office, and I go, Ben, you need to play this. He's like, what? And I go, I need a second opinion, because I think this is, like, Half-Life awesome. <laughs> and I, I have to be, I must be wrong or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, it was just so much better than anticipated that I was like, yeah, maybe I'm just wonky about this. Somebody else needs to play this and just confirm for me <laughs> that it's as good as I think it is. You know, so of course he installs it and then, you know, he's there all afternoon playing it and he's just like, Yep, okay. <laughs> this is this is it. And then I we ended up making it game of the year, I think, after, you know, when all was said and done on that one. And isn't that a fantastic all too rare sensation, this idea that wait a minute, is this really that good? I mean, I love discovering stuff like that. It just, it's so affirm. I mean, it's what's so awesome about this hobby. Uh, you know, all the little mediocre things, whatever. But, but those moments where you find something like Nolf and you don't quite expect or believe that it's as awesome as you first think it is, and, and then it percolates in your head some, and you mull over it, and it gets even better. Yeah. Uh, I just love finding stuff like that. Yeah, Star Control 2 is like that for me as well, because the original Star Control was a pretty fun little melee game, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't great. And then Star Control 2 was this grand, epic, freeform space adventure thing, and I just totally fell in love with that game. You know, it's so funny how we talk about, you know, games are only just now discovering narrative and story, and, and I think to a degree that's true, but you look at some of those instances like Star Control 2 and Nolf, and uh, those games were, you know, as far as narrative and uh, as far as creating these worlds and having personality and charm were every bit as good as the best games that are out these oh, days. Nolf 2 totally holds up. You can play it today. Um, I mean, obviously the technology is a bit dated, but they focused so much on, like, texture resolution, and they used so ah. much motion capture and so much... Uh, they had such good facial animation and lip-syncing that it really still holds up. You can you can totally play that game today. And it, and it how, works. And you'll, how hard is it to... Go ahead, sorry. Uh, you know, I, 
I haven't tried getting it running since like Windows 7 or anything. Mm-hmm. The last time I played it was a couple of years ago, but I think it runs. It's like DirectX 7. It's pretty straightforward. I think you can just, you know, if you can find a copy of it somewhere, I think you can just install it and go. Well, that's what I was wondering about is how hard is it to find a copy of No One Lives Forever? Oh, God. Uh, you know, good old games needs to get on it is what needs to happen. Um, yeah, that's one of those that as soon as you hear someone talk about it or you remember it, you're like, where where can I click somewhere and get this downloading now? Yeah, really. <laughs> um, if it was on Steam, you know, I would buy copies for all my friends. It's... Do, do you remember uh, in any of the, the guns or gadgets that stand out for you? Because I think there's a lot yeah. of personality there as well. There were the lipstick uh, grenades. and there were Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and it was really, they had really neat animation. Like, she, like, pulled out and, like, rolled up the lipstick, you know. And then right. some of them could, like, stick. You know, the standard grenade stuff. Like, this one blows up, this one sticks to the wall. It's a proximity mine, that kind of thing. Uh, there was one, what was, there was one that was a compact, and I don't remember what that was for. Yeah, you know, Jason, that reminds me, this is like, Monolith was doing that kind of clever stuff, like, way back with Blood, with some of the weapons in the oh, original yeah. Blood. Yep. And so this is sort of the culmination of that cleverness and, and, and being true to a theme. Yeah. And how can we make a cool weapon animation, a first-person shooter, really fit in with the world and bring the character alive? Yeah, they did some of that you got blood the gadgets as that. you went through, uh, from Santa, that was the... Uh, Oh, that's right! <laughs> I can't remember what the acronym... It was an acronym for something, but it was, he was the Q character, and he outfitted you with all these cool 60s fashionable like female objects that were really cool spy gadgets. Um, and in the first one, you got to pick them. Uh, I don't remember if that was the same in the second one, but the first one, after you got access to them, when you started a level, you got to pick which gadgets you would bring. Ah, and, nice. And, I always like forcing choices. Yeah, that would affect, like, how you... If you were going to be all stealthy, you would do this, and if you were going to, you know, do these other things, you'd bring those other ones. And I don't mm-hmm. remember now. But they also had cool weapons, like spear guns that stuck people to walls and stuff. Now, I distinctly remember uh, playing Nolf, uh, and this is the sort of thing that these days would be ruined because it would be a bullet point that you would know about from having read previews. But I remember my first time early on playing multiplayer Nolf 2, I think, on my LAN, and discovering some kind of gun that causes hallucination. Or when you shoot the other guy with it, they see these, like, floating purple goats. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't remember what that is. And that happens at some point during the game, too, and I don't remember what that was from. And that's such an inspired thing, is to just have magical goats floating around to represent that you're poisoned or hallucinating. Yeah, it was some sort of poison dart sort of thing. Uh, let me throw this at you. Sure. What made Kate Archer cool or or distinct? What made her stand out from other video game characters, specifically female? Well, especially that's one of the things I love so much about the game is that um, at the time, you know, you know, two thousand, two thousand two, were just totally sex object characters. You know, they were just. You know, let's. How big can we make the breasts? How much cleavage can we show? And you know, they did some butt kicking and stuff sometimes, but they didn't have a brain, right? And what was so great about Kate Archer as a character was, I mean, she was she's very beautiful, but it's all in the face, and she's very smart, and she's like, you know, obviously, you know, more clever than everyone around her by half, right? And that was what was so great about it is that she always had a quick retort in all the little cutscenes and stuff, and 
Um, that voice was just great. Uh, uh, who's the voice actor? Jen Taylor. Who? Uh, oh wow, Jen Taylor was Kate Archer. I guess. I guess yeah, of course. And, yeah. And, uh, Cortana and everything. Right. Right. Uh, oh, and it's a shame. Everybody knows her as Cortana, and Cortana is just a sort of a, a, an AI bauble. Uh, but she was Kate Archer. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, Cortana, I think, mattered more in, in Halo 1, right? Because that's, that's sort of your player's voice. Master Chief right. doesn't talk, but Cortana's kind of with you all the time and says the things that you're thinking as a player. Like, why is it snowing? Why would the people who designed this thing make <laughs> inclement weather, right? You know. So, yeah, I mean, it was important then, and it's gotten less important, I thought, as the series went on. Well, I think as far as, like, an interesting character and good writing, I, I think Cartana just cannot hold a candle. Not even close. You, you, what, one of the best things about Nolf 2 is that it came out late enough, or at least people still had it running on their PCs late enough, to make YouTube videos of practically the whole game. So even if you can't find a copy, you can go find videos of people playing through the whole first level and everything. Ah, very nice. <laughs> So and, and seeing all the great characters and you know and all the you know, they they mocapped everything so it all still looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the bits of I wouldn't say conventional wisdom because I'm not sure I believe this and I don't know that it's been embraced, but I've heard it said that one of the theories that uh, Monolith or Sierra has floated as for why it didn't do well is that gamers want male action fi- heroes is that because of Kate Archer, that might be one of the reasons it didn't do better. How would you react to that? I'm not sure I'd buy that, right? I mean, uh, that doesn't explain Lara Croft or... Mm-hmm. Eh. I mean... Yeah, I don't really... I don't I don't really buy that. I, I can see that people were a little put off by sort of the, the whole 60s vibe thing, you know. But you would think even... I mean, were the, were the Austin Powers movies going by then... Sure. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I so I can't think it's that. Um, yeah, and and then they tried to kind of pull the stealth out. They made that awful contract contact Jack, contract Jack, whatever. That's right, and it had a dude, didn't it? Wasn't that a dude character? Yeah, Jack, yeah. And, and it was it was it was like a sort of a side story thing. And it was all action, right? Was no, was no, <laughs> and that did great, didn't it? <laughs> it, you know, it bombed terribly. Um, I think part of the problem was those No One Lives Forever games were really expensive to make. I mean, they had a lot of very diverse locations, tons of voice work, tons of motion capture and everything, and uh, and all those big set pieces that they make. And, uh, you know, they just needed to sell really well and didn't. And I, I, I blame that as much on marketing as anything. I, I cannot see how games like Splinter Cell and Metal Gear and all these other sort of stealth action games can do well, and a stealth action game like that wouldn't. Especially today, I, where I think more uh, more women would love to play like a strong female character role, and you know, I, the PMS clan would be like, you know, out there promoting No One Lives Forever three years, and you know, right? Is there still a PMS clan? I, I don't know. That's just a, a, the first girl gaming clan thing that came to. <laughs> I can't imagine it went away. I imagine they're still around. <laughs> uh, I, let me float a theory then. Uh, you mentioned uh, stealth games like Splinter Cell and uh, Metal Gear Solid. I wonder how much of being a first-person shooter hurt No One Lives Forever, in that there's this awesome female character, but rather than looking at her a lot of times, rather than having her front and center like you would in a third-person game, she's your eyes. It's a first-person shooter. 
you hear her talk, she's in the cutscenes, but when you're actually playing, you are not seeing this cool character. And I think that was an advantage, in a way, that Laura Croft had. Yep. Is Laura Croft, whenever you're playing Tomb Raider, she's front and center. You're watching her do cool things rather than having to imagine it as kind of a shell around you. Uh, and and I, I wonder how much that kind of hurt that they were just, in a way, a conventional first person shooter when these memorable characters tend to come from third-person games. Yeah, there's a whole psychological um, theory going or, that goes around about how, you know, men don't mind playing a female character as long as they can feel... Like, there's the difference between I'm this character and I'm controlling this character. Ah, and as right. long as it's a, I'm controlling this character, a female character is cool. And if it's a I am this character thing, then a female character is not cool. Um, wow, I'd never thought about it that way. That, yeah. that feels well, cheap and superficial, and I'm, I'm now ashamed of men. Well, I'm. I'm <laughs> can you tell I'm dating somebody who studies gender studies? <laughs> is her uh, major? No, it's. Um, and I don't know whether I buy that or not, but I definitely think it would it would even work better as a third person game because I think a stealth game is so much about situational awareness and being right. able to see that you're sort of hiding just around a corner and kind of peeking your head out. You know, you can do that in No One's Forever, but you don't see that you're doing that, and it doesn't look like you're being sneaky. And I think uh, if they ever made, like, a No One's Forever 3, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt me one bit if it, all of a sudden it was third person. I'd be like, oh, good, it's third person. I don't. Well, and look what happened with the Thief series. I mean, early on, the Thief series was like the first stealth game, and you had a little gem that showed whether or not you are in shadow. Yeah. And we didn't know any better about the advantages of third person and that kind of gameplay. So as it evolved, I think it was the third thief was, was in third person. As it evolved, that was one of the solutions they came up with, I think. Yeah. Um, so I also think that, as much as I hate to acknowledge this, I wonder, too, as you mentioned, how much the setting hurt them. You know, Laura Croft had this familiar... Indiana Jones. Everybody knew what that was. Everybody wanted to be in it, and it, it sort of anchored, I think, the popularity, whereas the Austin Powers thing was a lark and was really tied into Mike Myers' shtick rather than the setting. It was, hey, look how funny Mike Myers is, not necessarily, hey, look how cool super spy stuff is from the 60s. Yeah, uh, it was also, you know, uh, I mean, it took place in modern times. It was a big fish-out-of-water thing. Like, he's from the 60s, but it Everybody can relate. It's modern. I don't know that that's necessarily true, though. Um, I mean, I know people that the audience wasn't around in the 60s to remember it or don't and don't remember all those like 60s spy shows and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't I don't know that that was necessarily a thing. Um, And I really from the perspective of being a stealth game, I really think there's a huge benefit to being set in a slightly more technologically primitive era. Right. Like, if you want to listen to somebody, you've got to sneak in there and bug their phone. You can't just point the laser <laughs> uh, microphone thing at their window from a mile away and go, whatever. So there was something really sort of, you know, understandable and basic about, you know, if you want to listen in on something, you have to go put a microphone there or, you know, whatever. That I think really works for a stealth game. It really makes it so that you have to go. This this whole business in Splinter Cell of, like, I've got an EMP backpack and stuff, that's just not... <laughs> that's not stealth. That's, you know, that's just, that's just goofy. 
Come on, that's cloaking. It's like the Romulans do, Jason. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I'm not sneaking from shadow to shadow. I'm just, you know, I have the magic button that makes me disappear from everybody for, you know, the next five seconds. But I do think, I agree with you, but but I do think part of what we're talking about is why it was like a critical darling and not so much a commercial darling. As guys like you and me, we want something new and different that takes a chance on a setting we haven't seen before. But I think the average person, there's more of a leap of faith or trust that's required for picking up something that's set in the 60s in some weird super spy situation versus another military shooter or another World War II thing. Yeah, or, it, would def- you know. it definitely, I think, needs to be marketed carefully. I mean, you can't yeah. just go out there and sell this to the Call of Duty crowd, right? Yeah. You know, I think they really would need to, to try and sell this to the same broader audience that is willing to, you know, jump from cloud to cloud with Mario or whatever and not really care. Yep, but I do think also that it was a little before its time because, as a gamer, I am so proud of the industry that things like Assassin's Creed and Bioshock have been very successful with their settings that it makes me wonder, you know, what if Nolf came out today? They could sell that, and I think gamers might be willing to to get into something like that. Yeah, I think they could. And I think they'd have an an easier time selling it now because of all the game blogs and stuff that are out there, that if they announced No One Lives Forever 3, you know, the folks at Kotaku and, you know, uh, uh, what's the other... Why is my mind blanking? On uh, I think you're trying to think of Fidget.com, yeah, well, of the course. other really big video yes. gaming... Book. Well, naturally, <laughs> Fidget.com, which is my homepage. Uh, <laughs> but I, and also, well, like, Jason... I think the gaming blogs would light up because I think the guys who run those know no one lives forever and know how great it was. And I think if they announced <laughs> Nolf 3, they'd be like, oh my... It'd be like when they announced Team Fortress 2. Everybody would be like, oh, crap. Yeah. So who has the rights to Nolf these days? Where, where did that end up? Do you know? God, if I understand it right, and I probably don't, then uh, Fox owned the brand, the Nolan Lewis River brand, but not okay. any of the characters or anything like that. Monolith owns like the characters and stuff. So, and you now Fox is now owned by Vivendi, is now owned by Activision. So I think Activision Mon- ends up owning Nolan Lewis Forever as a name, as right. a trademark and stuff. But, but wait, so the Monolith, who is now Warner Brothers Interactive, has Kate Archer? I think they do. I think they have the characters. And... Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, though. That does sound like some sort of convoluted uh, IP contract. <laughs> Jeez. I, you uh, know, I think when they set that up, they you know, set it up to, to own the characters or something. Um, so, right. you know, they, they could do a No Lose Forever 3, not call it that, right? Right, right. Uh, well, that's Kate the thing, Archer too, about... Operative in... You know, oh, that's right. It was Kate Archer is the operative. I remember that, too. They, then, wow. they, then they re-released it with just No One Lives Forever on the cover, or just the operative No One Lives Forever or something like that. I don't remember. Or the PlayStation 2 version was like that. I don't know. Something. You know, it's a shame that you couldn't do it like the James Bond movies and just have Kate Archer as sort of the, the consistent thing that and then give it some it cool spy to, title. Yeah, it was supposed to be, yeah. you know, the operative in and then a different thing every time. Right, right, right. Uh, so do you still have your copy of No One Lives Forever? I do. I don't know if the disc still works, but I still have it in its jewel case on a shelf somewhere. Oh, you didn't keep the box? A big, lovely orange, it's a big old orange box, isn't it? I think I got rid of all my boxes like a while ago for oh, my big exactly. game boxes. 
I, I have very have are the ones that are sort of DVD box size. Right. You know? Come on, there wasn't there wasn't any big oversized classic old box that you wanted to keep. You just got rid of all well, of I'm them. Sure, there was, and I ended up getting rid of them anyways. In one of the you know my move across country or whatever it was, I I was like I can't fit all this stuff. I'm just going to take all this stuff from inside the box and put it in a Ziploc bag and stuff it in a box somewhere. So. Yeah, I guess that's easy for me to say, having lived in L.A. for 15 years, where it's always a matter of, you know, do I make one more trip with the truck <laughs> as opposed to going from Florida to Connecticut to Vermont to yeah. San Francisco? Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, and, and now, like, living in, you live in a small enough place that, you know, space becomes a premium, and you get to the point right. where it's like, well, if I'm going to buy these new things, I have to get rid of something first. <laughs> Now, uh, what do you do, since you're like me, I know you're in the press, you get a fair number of free games, what does your game collection look like? like do you have a shelf? Do you have a closet? Do you have to fight your girlfriend? I've kind closet. of fallen off all the free games lists for the most part. Um, okay. I just still get into a fair number of like betas and stuff, right? but I really don't get the free games. Um, but you still, you must have a, quite a games collection. I, mean, I you're, you're like I me. have a... Um, I have a sort of a chest of drawers that's, a, you know, about a foot wide, like a narrow chest of drawers, where about half of the drawers are filled with console games. And I have a couple shelves on a bookshelf that are lined with sort of PC games that I won't get rid of. But that's after, you know, a couple of trips to Goodwill to get rid of a bunch of old things and, uh, you know, a couple trips to, to EB to trade in, you know, a big stack of console games or whatever. That can be painful, that ruthless culling, that sort of like, am I ever going to play this again? I might My want to. My personality type is actually not to hang on to these things. I'm actually pretty <laughs> good about, like, looking at something and going, you know what, I just don't use this. And if I ever feel like I need to use this again, I can always get it again somehow and getting rid of it. So I'm actually pretty good about that kind of stuff. Still, so tell me a that- lot of games around here, and it's probably time for another culling because... There's a lot of console games in that chest of drawers that I'm never going to touch again. Okay, but but tell me, just confess right now, okay. before quarter to three and everyone, that I briefly made you regret getting rid of that big, lovely, orange, no one lives forever to full-size box. No. True or false? Not false. I, that, that was not one of the cooler boxes out there. All right, fine. I'm gonna. I'm, as soon as we stop recording, Jason, I'm gonna go in and uh, and and lovingly caress my big orange. No one lives forever. They too really made full. some spectacularly big boxes. I like the boxes that were non-standard shapes, like the thief box. Oh, good lord, those IDOS things! I could not get rid of those fast enough. It's like uh, why? <laughs> I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. Oh, and those cereal box tops? Like, I don't know who was doing those, but I've, I've still got, I think, one of those around. You know it's what? like, oh. I might still have my Nolf 2 box, because I think they had already moved to, they were still cardboard boxes, but they were the size of, like, a DVD box. Right, right. I think well, I, I know Contract Jack was a tiny one, yeah. uh, so you might be right. Hmm. You know what? Maybe I don't have the big box, and I've been gloating, and I only have the tiny size one. Uh, all right, well, the less you know, the better. I'm just going to pretend I have some big, big lovely... boxes I have are for, like, my collector's edition thing, which is not often that I get one. Um, I don't usually care about what they're... What collector's editions do you have? I have the collector's editions of, like, the World of Warcraft stuff, because they, okay. they do a great job with awesome stuff. They do, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and I think I have the Fallout 3 collector's edition, because it came from ah. awesome lunch pail. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what else have I had? I know, I know I've got one more, and I can't remember what it is. I think I had the Pony Pack Pony. Two Collector's Edition because I wanted the 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 stuff that comes in the game or whatever. 
As oh yeah, EA that. tricked you, didn't they? They got you. Yeah, and I, you know, I actually feel bad that I paid for that because it wasn't worth the extra money. See, I, I ponied up for, uh, and I got sent one as well, but I ponied up for the collector's edition and a midnight sale of Bioshock 2, and, and don't regret it at all. I, uh, th- there are certain things where I will, I will go out and, and show my support and go ahead and buy collector's editions. Uh, and, and yeah, so I, I proudly have Bioshock 2. What else do I have? It depends on how much they're asking and, and what they're yeah. giving you for. And, and the Blizzard ones are expensive, but they give you a big hard-bound art book and a soundtrack CD and a making of DVD and a trinket and a thing. and a, it's, yeah. it's They're very nice. I, I, if I played World of Warcraft, I'd want those. Well, games. like StarCraft two, uh, I pre-ordered that collector's edition for the ah, yes. reason. I know it's just going to be worth every penny. What do you get? Do you know what you get in-game for that? Like, I'm sure there's going to be an art book, but do you know what fancy extras you're going to get? I don't know what you get in, God, if anything, in StarCraft two. Uh, I know you get, like, some World of Warcraft pet, you know. <laughs> oh, they're crossing over. Oh, All sure. right. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that just like Blizzard? Why would that they makes not sense. do that? <laughs> um, yeah, so, God, I don't know what you get in-game for that. Right. But you have all, uh, they give you all the other physical stuff that is very cool. Right, right. Uh, so if, uh, yeah, you should get the collector's edition for Bioshock 2. I probably should. All right. Have you played it? Yeah. I know. I finished Bioshock 2. For somebody who actually plays World of Warcraft, I think I play a, a remarkable number of other games. <laughs> you still play World of Warcraft? You haven't gotten over that? Yeah, Good I'm Lord. Just there with the quarter to three drop bears, you know, oh, playing a few times a week in there. Just get out while you can, Jason. You can quit crappy TV shows. Why can't you bail on an MMO? It's killing the industry. It's a good MMO. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I know. I mean, and I'm still, you know, when it, what was the last, like, other games I played? You know, I still... But you were my Lotro buddy for a while. You used to be, you were right up there with us when we first were into Lotro. Yeah. Lord of the Rings Online. Yeah. yeah. It, it got kind of old for me. It got... It, what? How dare you? How dare you? I'm ending this call. <laughs> <laughs> It's just that you are you are an inveterate World of Warcraft player. You, you people, the first step is admitting you have a problem, Jason. Yeah. Well, but what if you don't want to be cured? Huh? I'm, I'm on my way over to your house. I'm going to get Lloyd Case and Darren Gladstone to come over and stage an intervention. Oh, sweet. <laughs> uh, but before I do that, I'm going to ask you a random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with anything that we've talked awesome. about. I've been waiting for this. Okay, it's kind of a lame one. You can't. Okay. You can't. What, what's great about this is that you can anticipate it, but there's no right. way to prepare, which is the best. Right. Uh, but they're not like difficult questions. I've thought about asking like, like quiz questions, like uh, yeah, that's no fun. yeah, like how many liters of blood are in a human body, and that's you know who cares. <laughs> that's not going to answering that isn't going to illuminate. Well, twelve any. in mine. Yeah. Is that true? Did you did you know that? No, it's not okay. twelve, is it? I don't know. I, you know, I've wondered that many times. I wonder weird things like, how much does a human head weigh? You know, how many liters of blood are in a body? Have you been to Wolfram Alpha? What is that? There's a website called Wolfram Alpha. That's a, that's a, that's one of the space stations in Mass Effect 2, isn't it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I made that up. Okay, so what is Wolfram Alpha? Uh, go to wolframalpha.com, and it's sort of like a math and statistics search engine thing that gives you answers. So you can type in all these funky things, and it... it pulls information from the web, but also will do, like, equation-type things for you and then presents you with, like, these 
answers and statistics and, or graphs or whatever. Oh, this is this is something that came out like a year or so ago, yeah, right? So you can do things like, if you wanted. Like, you can do things like you know, you know, how many teaspoons are there, uh, you know, or how many ounces does the moon weigh, and it will figure it out. But you can also ah. things, it'll it'll also pull in a thing like, you know, how much blood is in a dozen people, and, you know, right, and it'll right. show you the math, you know, and stuff, which is very cool. That's a weird question to wonder about. I, I don't know. How many I don't know why. Is it a dozen people? Yeah, or how much a human head weighs, or that. <laughs> those yeah, are weird. I, I almost, I'm almost certain it would have the answers to those. Okay, well, I'll give that a shot. Uh, I, you know what, though, I kind of like not knowing. Some some days a human body has 12 liters of blood, other days two liters. Sure. Some days a human head 15 pounds, other days two pounds. Depends on how I feel. I don't want to know the actual answer. I just want to wonder. I think so. you know what? I think I actually, I think it's six, and I think I learned that watching Dexter. You know, that sounds like the kind of thing that you would learn watching Dexter, doesn't it? (laughs) Have you stuck with Dexter, by the way? Oh, yes. Oh, man. I keep hearing about how awesome, like, I I hear references to stuff with John Lithgow, and and part of me is like, shut up, I don't want to know that, because I might still watch it. But I bailed on Dexter, and I'm thinking maybe I should... It never Uh, got Why? Uh, I, I got a little put out with... What did I get put out with? Like, the stuff about his relationship with the girl, and I just thought it got a little too... Uh, far from how morbid it was early on. It, it, the first season was more morbid than the rest. But okay. uh, the the last, the, I think it's the third season, the last season they did, where John Lithgow is this other serial killer that he sort of follows to try and learn from, because he's like a serial killer who maintains a normal life and family, so he thinks. Um, so he tries to follow him and learn from him, and that whole thing is just great. Yeah, that makes me want to watch. Really dark because he's not lead a normal family life at all. It's great. See, okay, yeah, you're selling me. It was early on in season two that I that I bailed. Uh, so I, that might be one I go back to. I still have to watch The Wire though. I've got too much TV. Quit, quit distracting okay, me. Sorry, uh, random question. <laughs> random question. Okay, random question. You ready? Yes. What are you allergic to? Nothing. That's that's. I'm gonna. I, I, you know what? I actually don't think. I don't even think I'm allergic to poison uh, poison oak because I think no. Come on, that's not a matter of an allergy. That's like that's yeah, that like means you're a something zombie. that everyone is allergic to doesn't count, right? Like poison ivy. Right, right, right. I don't think that's an allergy so much as like it's poison. Yeah, it's like saying you're not allergic to arsenic. That was a boring answer. I don't have any. Uh, but I don't. I'm going to challenge you on this though. Surely, do, do, you, do you ever get like like hay fever you know or? Yeah, I, I actually. There is some kind of pollen here that happens in the Bay Area uh-huh. in, uh, like, the spring that makes me, you know, makes my nose go crazy and makes the back of my throat itch and stuff. And I don't know what it is. Right. So I must be allergic. Your allergy. There you go. You're allergic to Bay Area pollen at a certain time of the year. I think it's olive. Olive? Yeah. Not actual olives, olives. No, like from olive trees, like pollen from olives. Yeah. Can you eat an olive? Yeah. Okay. No, I think uh, pollen from the trees. There's there's a time of year they they grow a lot of olives around here apparently, and there's a time of year where that's bad and it affects a lot of people. Uh, I don't know. So. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, is your girlfriend allergic to anything? Um, trying to think. I think she is, and I'm trying to remember right now. She doesn't have the same sort of like hay fever thing ever happened, but. Um, I don't think she's allergic to penicillin, but there's something like that. There's a, like a common drug type thing that she can't 
whoa, whoa, she's supposed to be wearing one of those, like, bracelet things for, for paramedics if there's, like, some common drug. It's not, Cause it's it, not that common. It's you know, okay. something a doctor would prescribe you, not, like, an emergency medicine thing. Right, right. Uh, just so you know, Jason, don't lose hope because plenty of us develop allergies later in life. So there's still hope for you that maybe you could be allergic to, to cats. I think I, I developed this one later in life because I didn't used to have this kind of thing. And then, you know. I think that's how a lot of allergies work. I didn't used to either. There was some point in my life where I got, like, super allergic to horses, oddly enough. Horses? Yeah, yeah. I totally break out around horses. Oh, that's true. Uh, why? Because horses are fun. Good Lord. Ugh. Horses are a little scary. Well, yeah, but that's part of what makes them fun. I don't know. They're, they're so much bigger than me. I'm not comfortable with this idea of co- of trying to command a beast who's like, you, you know, ten times my size. I don't. Right, so I, I'm not confident you, where I stand in that. Or sure, yeah, those things they they run off, and you try to like pull their mouths or whatever to make them do stuff, and sometimes they're they're reluctant. And but when they you know, do they, follow what you say, you, there's that great feeling of power because you're so high up and there's this big powerful like animal that's like you said so much bigger and stronger than you are and it's doing what you say. <laughs> and it's that's fun. You know what? For those kind of power fantasies, Jason, I play video games. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I do remember being on a horse at one point and the thing trying to like it, like it was smarter than me too because it didn't want me up there and it knew to like run under low-hanging trees. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I've been terrorized by horses in the past, and now I'm allergic to them, so yeah. there's no danger. I once, when I first started acting, one of my first gigs was like a Western, and I was scared to death that I was going to have to either be around a horse or ride on a horse, or, because one of the things you learn Why would to do you as an actor... be around horses in a Western? I know, exactly. Haven't they invented the automobile yet? <laughs> but one of the things you learn to do when you're an actor is under your little added skills on your resume, you pretty much write everything to make sure that you're not ruled out. Like if they need somebody who can cook and do fancy stuff with uh, with with Ginsu knives or somebody who can do horses or an Italian accent, you want that on there. So I remembered submitting my resume saying that I knew how to horseback ride because I'd been in seventh grade at summer camp once. <laughs> and then I'm in this Western, and I'm like, oh, geez, I hope they don't ask me to ride a horse. <laughs> uh, but I, I dodged that bullet, so to speak. Uh, so, all right, so you were only allergic to olive pollen, possibly, but with the option to maybe be allergic to more things as you get older. Sure. Uh, yeah. Here's one. Have you been around cigarette smoke lately? I know you live in the Bay Area, so you must not smoke. No, but, you know, there are people around who do, and I've been near people who smoke, yeah. Cigarette smoke kills me these days. Like, I don't know. I, I've smoked at previous times in my it, life. I don't smoke anymore. I can't stand, like, it, the, the smell of it. Like, it used to be, it, I can't walk behind somebody who's, like, smoking or something. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to stop and let him get ahead because it's just, yeah. it bothers me. It's amazing how and much it, it gets to bother you, how quickly. Well, I, my theory is that's because we live in California where it's relatively rare and you don't have it in public that often. It tends to be shunted off to, you know, that side of the office building where all the smokers stand. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, okay, I'm going to put you down as possibly allergic to cigarettes and definitely allergic to olive pollen. No, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm allergic to cigarettes, though. I've, I've been next to or near people. I'm good. Yeah. But you know what? That's a good way to keep people from smoking around you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm okay. allergic. Oh, wait, so right. there's something that my girlfriend's allergic to. That's the pot smoke. Ah, what do you mean allergic? Does, does she think she's allergic because she gets all distracted and giddy around it? 
No, <laughs> that's no, not allergies. It's, it's, she has trouble breathing and stuff. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. But but not cigarettes. Like it's specifically if someone's it's, getting stoned around yeah, her, it, it affects specifically her. Specifically, ah. so you know, yeah. If somebody's if somebody's going to smoke, if we're like hanging out with friends and they're like in a smoke pot or something, we're like, okay, well we're just going to go into the other room until you're done, <laughs> or can you go outside and do that, or you know, whatever. Also, if you guys wanted to be like one of those tragic drug addicted couples, you would have to stick to either like heroin or cocaine. Yeah, you well, couldn't why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just go straight for heroin? Exactly. Do the glamorous stuff, you know, like Sid Vicious. Don't mess around with these gateway things. No, yeah. pot. pot doesn't do anything. It just makes you hungry. <laughs> So for everyone listening, there's going to be a thread in everything else titled, What Are You Allergic To? If you post in this thread uh, what you're allergic to, and if your post contains the word very, exactly two times, that's V-E-R-Y, that, that word must appear twice and only twice in your answer, then you go into the drawing. Uh, and, Jason, you're in the drawing, and yeah, the no, winner will... I would have said the rule before the question. Because then I well, you don't have it. to go by the rules. I know, but I wanted to answer it on the podcast that way, anyways. Oh, I should have given you the opportunity. Right, right. <laughs> okay, I listen to this podcast every week, and I think, you know, when he does this, I'm going to answer it like like with the rule. And then I totally <laughs> forgot about that till just now. <laughs> so well, we'll try again, Jason. No, what are you allergic? It's, 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 it's I, I know we can't go back. Very Sorry. very late for that. <laughs> uh, did you play uh, Neverwinter Nights? Yeah, sure, both of them. One and two. Uh, next week we have, do you know Dean, who I think lives way out there around Boston or something? You ever met Dean from the forums? He teaches, I think. Uh, you got to give me a last name, maybe. You know what? He doesn't have one. Well, he has one. I don't know it. But he's one of those those people who has the first name on the forum. Yeah. You know, I, think, uh, I think I've met Dean at a quarter three get-together. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you have, like maybe at GDC or something. Yeah, I think he comes to the GDC get-together ones. I think the dean I'm thinking of is that dean. Yep. So Well, yeah. he will be on next week talking about Neverwinter Nights 2, which he specifically uh, mentioned. I, I presume we'll talk about the earlier ones as well. Excellent. Uh, so for those of you listening, uh, tune in then. Be sure to answer in the thread, what are you allergic to? Uh, and also something that I keep meaning to say and have never said, if you are listening and you would like to be on the podcast, I want you to be on the podcast. So if you're listening and you have not already sent me a, a PM saying, hey, Tom, you know, book me for the podcast, please do so. Uh, I will at some point uh, arrange all those. You will hear back from me. Uh, I've, I've literally got about like 30 people in the queue right now, but I want your name. If you want to be on this podcast, I want you here. We will get you on at some point. You don't necessarily have to mention what game you want to talk about because we can wait until it gets uh, closer to that time. Yeah, 30 but if you people. want to be on this podcast, we've actually, and that's the people that I haven't scheduled yet. I mean, we've literally, I've, I've been so tickled at, at how willing people are to do this, but we're, we're literally booked for maybe the next almost year. You have but, to start doing two a week or something. Oh, good Lord. I, you know what? I could. I, I love doing this. It'd be easy enough. We would run out of games that way, though. I don't think we would. You know what? You're right. There's a lot of them out there. They, they release them quite frequently. There always be something. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> there are constantly new things I want to play that are interfering with wanting to go back to old things like Nolf 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we go, Jason, what, if anything, are you really looking forward to coming out? Uh, God, in the long term, I I can't I couldn't tell you. Like yeah, yeah. Come on, surely something but next short, week. But short term, I'm uh I want to check out Alan Wake. 
and I'm really curious about uh, Red, Dem- Red, Red Dead Redemption. Is it Redemption. So I'm, I'm surprised you didn't say it the other way around, because I wasn't into Alan Wake, and I, I can understand curiosity, but I think Alan Wake is bleh. Like, yeah, it didn't but, do anything for me. But, but you know that playing it. Before you played it, you were intensely curious as to how well it turned out, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's uh, who I am. Um, and Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, you know, that's another one where I wanted to like the first one a lot more than I did, and... You know, I think maybe they're doing a lot of good things. It's so funny you mentioned that because I'm almost like there was a first one, and I'm like, oh yeah, Red Dead Revolver. Yeah. Like that, that so didn't register for me, and I'm so psyched, probably irrationally, about Red Dead Redemption that I keep forgetting that yes, it is a follow up to the more underwhelming one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I'm, but that one, I'm not totally sold. I'm going to wait and see what the reviews look like. You know. Wait, but you're sold for Alan Wake? Uh, well, sold enough to try it, right? Sold enough that I right. you know I'm not going to avoid it. You know, I'm I'm still intensely curious. You know, about it. Did you dig the Max Payne games? Yeah, well, yeah, not as much as I think a lot of other people did because you know, to me, I thought the goofiness of the story. I didn't I didn't get that everybody else thought it was intentional. I was like, no, I think that's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> The action was good, but you know the you know you can only dive into a room sideways so many times. <laughs> Very well put. Well, I can't wait to hear what what folks like you and and the rest of the guys on the forum think of of Alan Wake because I just I I know it got some enthusiastic reviews, but I just don't get how people have enthusiasm. I mean, there's some really cool story stuff there, but as far as a game, I was just like, whatever, remedy. Uh, hmm. Uh, I'll be curious what you guys think. There, there's there's a lot there to talk about, though, to their credit. I mean, it's not it's not one of those mediocre things that you can just sort of sweep away and, and forget about. There's a lot of memorable stuff and a lot of stuff worth talking about with Alan Wake. And these days, I consider that pretty high praise. So, uh, Alan Wake or God of War three? Oh, easily Alan Wake. Okay, so just just to know where you know where the bar is. Okay. Did you like God of War three? No. Yeah. I never really saw what was so great about most of the God of War games. I think what was so great about most of the God of War games is that there weren't a whole bunch of better God of War clones out yet. Oh, that's true. <laughs> did Did you like Bayonetta? I loved Bayonetta. I yeah, loved me too. Game. God, I love Bayonetta. Bayonetta, I think I, is. I think I should. It's it's like same here. You're playing it, and it it just all fits and clicks, and the action's really tight. And then by the time you get to where the little girl comes into the story, yes, yes, oh, I just love that. <laughs> I Bayonetta, it's like girl. it makes me want to go into Ben Stone's office and say, Ben, you need to play this and tell me is it as good as I think it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which should be a meme now on Quarter Three, really. Yeah. Uh, but Bayonetta, that's that's another reason that I didn't like God of War 3, is it, it kept me from playing more Bayonetta. Yeah, it's not as good. <laughs> so, all right, well, uh, Jason, I appreciate you hanging out with me. It has been awesome oh, to catch up with fun. you. It was a blast. Are you going to be at E3? No. Of course you are. No, I'm not. What? Oh, come on! I, I really, unfortunately, we can all, from, you know, PC World is so not game-centric that but there's one guy who does game stuff for us, Matt Peckham, and he's going... Uh, to E3, and there's really no justifiable excuse to go. <laughs> have you not been to the last few? Uh, no, I have, um, but I was at Extreme Tech and everything. And, oh, are you bored? Are you, are you bummed about missing it this year, or you're okay with that? I, I am a little bummed about missing it because I, I kind of like E3. I'm bummed about you missing it too. I mean, you're one of the guys that I would expect to, to see it at, at an E3. Even although, if why, true. why on God's green earth do you not come to GDC every year? Oh, you know, like I know. The best no. conference. 
Well, I'll tell you why because I don't have a I don't I don't have anyone somebody sending me. Put that out there. Somebody has got to be willing to pay you to write something about. These days, not really, because most of the people who would do that are already up there. Will Siffy uh, not pay for you to go? No, good lord, no. They have no. I mean, I'm a freelancer. They have no travel budget. They uh, like like Fidget is a very very teensy teensy corner of the Sci-Fi Channel. No, they're not going to send me to GDC. But God, I I hate missing GDC every year. I I cuss. I'm like, and I don't cuss that just, much. Just make drive up and you know. Stay at you know what I could? You know, you're right. I could. I, I could like. You know, I'm gonna crash on your couch. Is there a room for me next to your game collection? Yeah. <laughs> not allergic to cats, right? <laughs> that sounded so half-hearted. You have cats? Yeah. Uh, that makes me want to come up there and crash at your place even more. Yep. What are their names? Kosho and Red. I have Is Red and and my girlfriend has a cat and. When we moved How did that go? Cats. The whole moving in with a girlfriend and the two cats suddenly have like sibling cats. Did they get along? No. They still don't, mm. really. Oh, that's sad. They kind of Who play would... fight. They're, they're both, they were both very, like, adult cats moving in together, so they, they both really don't want to have too much to do with each other. That's kind of sad. Who who wins the battles between them? Uh, Kosho, my cat, which is bigger. He's, he's a bigger cat, and he's older and slower, and Red always starts the fight, and Kosho always ends it. <laughs> it's like a big old spot. I love Kosho, by the way. Yeah. I, I vote for Kosho. Okay. Sorry, Red. <laughs> Red, is, Red is the sweetheart, though. She's super adorable and is everyone's friend all the time. Oh, you know what? Now I like Red better. Sorry, Kosho. <laughs> See how fickle I am with cats? I love all cats. They're both on my bed right now. It's funny. They hate each other, sort of, but they will be two feet away from each other doing the same thing. Like, sleeping in the same position. Both, oh, it's time to bathe myself, like, at the same time. It's it's really kind of weird. I don't think they really hate each other. Well, it sounds like they've achieved some sort of detente. There's some resignation yes, going there. There absolutely Good. is. <laughs> have you posted pictures in one of the mini pet threads on quarter to three? I don't think I have. I know there's a picture of Kosho on my uh, Flickr. Okay, so you're, you're a terrible cat parent. I guess so. I need to <laughs> I need to wait for them to do something that I can caption with broken English and uh, put them in a box. Yeah. And caption it, I can has box, and you're all set. That's true. You're done. <laughs> all right. Well, Jason, I appreciate you hanging out. It has been awesome catching up, and I'm, I, I really sucks you're not going to be at E3. I was hoping to say, yes, hey, I'll I do, I do want to be at E3, but I can't go. All right. Jerk. <laughs> Actually, no, your, your overlords are, are jerks. Yeah, uh, okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, if you see Matt Peckham, Peckham, punch him lightly in the arm for me. Uh, I don't want to think. I, you, you know, know I Darren don't think going to see him, though, because he goes, you know, from... He's in Detroit or something, and he's... Oh, he's not, like, in the office with Yeah, so he's going from there to to E3, so... Well, when I see him at E3, do you want me to punch him in the arm yeah, for sure. you? Yeah, Okay. Yeah. So you punch Darren Gladstone, I will punch Matt Peckham. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, all right, so everyone listening, post in, what are you allergic to? Make sure you write the word, very... Twice and only twice in your post. They don't have to be together, right? They do not. As a matter of fact, it will look less conspicuous if you separate them. Uh, so, yeah, you might want to strategically place them at separate places. Uh, if everybody's writing very, very something, then the people who didn't listen to the podcast might clue in, and they might dilute your chances to win a free game, and you don't want that to happen. So, uh, And uh, join us next week, folks, for uh, Dean 
no last name given. We'll find out if he wants to tell us. I think he will. Uh, who will also be talking about uh, Neverwinter Nights. So, Jason, good to talk to you, and uh, I'll be seeing you around on the forum. Thank you, sir.